The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Thoughts that, long after midnight, cross our dreaming minds unbidden, could offer more truth than an honest word when awake. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and interior decorator, and you are listening to Cinema Limbo. This evening's symposium studies Eyes Wide Shut, the 1999 psychological drama starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and the final film to be directed by Stanley Kubrick. You join me and my guest, Ed Bloomer, in his Spartan study as I finish teaching him a lesson in morality. How to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, every one. <laughs> Don't you feel transformed by that story? Yes. I, mean, I love Christmas Carol. I think it, it's taken me long enough to read it. Yeah. And well done, well, <laughs> and well done for sitting so still for all this time. Yeah. I mean, I prefer the Muppets version, obviously. The funny thing is, The Muppets Christmas Carol has come up uh, previously in very recent podcast recordings as being one of the definitive Charles Dickens adaptations. Because it's, it's a good adaptation, and it has Muppets in it. It's, it, it gets at the heart of the story, but it knows how to communicate it to a generation that ne- wouldn't normally engage with classic literature. And it uses almost all the dialogue, almost all the dialogue in the film is from mm. the book. But uh, Dickens isn't the only um, 19th century storyteller associated with this time of year. (laughs) Is it going to be a good transition? Oh, it's great. Okay. Um, Of course, we have the tradition of the Christmas ghost story, at least least in England. Um, And one of the great uh, horror writers of the 19th century was Edgar Allan Poe, who gave us the immortal quote, Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? And with that in mind, what did you think of Eyes Wide Shut? <laughs> Ooh, um, that's a good question, actually, because I find it—I find it very hard work. I've got to admit, and I had to—I had to divide it into two chunks. I couldn't watch it all in one sitting. Um, I mean, I was really struggling around the hour and a half mark. Were you making notes, or were you just just concentrating? I think. Uh, because I had, to, I think I had to watch it in three chunks. Right. I, but I was making a lot of notes, so I was getting. I, I was just watching, and I wasn't consciously making notes uh, or, or sort of trying to split my, my time. You were just concentrating. I, I guess so. But hold on, hold on, because I don't, I don't think it, it's. Uh, so we're going to um, inevitably we're going to get into the genius of Kubrick, right? And I don't, I don't think this is a work of genius. So it wasn't that it's so dense and layered that I had to stop to absorb it. I found it, I, I was struggling to get through it. That's why I divided it into two chunks. Right. But having said that, there are interesting bits in it. And the end of it, I think, it didn't win me over completely, but it, it, it went a little way on that path. And also, I think, inevitably, 
it's this is a movie it's very very difficult to separate from uh, Kubrick himself because of his because of his death yes straight after uh, and potentially if you're so interested in Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's uh, marriage and having them on screen together so yeah I think I, I think there's a lot to talk about in it um, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it but at the same time I'm, I'm kind of glad I did watch it had you seen it before? no no oh. I'd got to I'd seen about half of it but I couldn't tell you when quite a long time ago <laughs> I think um, and it really didn't make much of an impression on me um, basically when I was watching it it made me start thinking about sort of the, the ways that that people make film which I guess is interesting mm. uh, but the reason I was doing that is because it is slow it's slow and I don't think I, I think it is uh, slow rather than um, measured rather than measured okay yeah. so I think I had some spare processing power to, to think about how people make cuts and transitions and things like that on a slight tangent have you seen Blade Runner 2049 yes I have now that it, I think I loved it but oh, okay. I'm completely biased because because Blade Runner is my favourite film of all time I yeah you can yeah, point, point I'm, to I'm it I'm pointing at the copy of the DVD that you have over in the corner yeah um, I mean that's one of many that are strewn around the various places I've lived so and my parents one, house and things there's always one within reach yeah definitely I had the sort of little tin uh, collector set which had I think oh, everything yes. up to the redo I might have given that to one of my brothers but um, yes <laughs> yes always one within a certain distance um, and 2049 I mean that's a great film to talk about uh, uh, perhaps not, maybe not now but we could certainly no, spend many, it was, many it hours was mo- it was more because um, 2049 has a very slow pace and I would have said the reverse I would have said that Eyes Wide Shut is measured and 2049 is slow. I And I know that I'm in a minority because I didn't like 2049 at all. I can completely understand why you, why you might not have liked it. Or, or there are several reasons why you might not have liked it. Maybe we can discuss that another time. But I think 2049... I mean, I just sat and drank it all in. All the visuals. Right. Having said that, it's a different sort of film even if you just look at the sort of superficial nature of the CGI, the spectacle and things like that. Mm. Eyes Wide Shut has a, 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 there's certainly theatricality to it and, and, and there is a spectacle of sorts. We can maybe talk more about the visuals yes. and things. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would argue the opposite. But, but I, think, uh, I think with Blade Runner, I can understand several things that might annoy you. I can also certainly think if you... Do you, if you, do if you mean you, that might annoy other people or annoy me specifically? Both. <laughs> both. I mean, I'll, I'll say just to finish up on the Blade Runner stuff is that because I love it so much. Well, I, I guess actually when it was first announced that they were making it, I thought this is the stupidest idea ever. Why would you bother touching a film like that? It doesn't need a sequel. It probably won't benefit from a sequel. And it was only as sort of things began to drip out that I thought, well, I would, I would like to go and see a film like that in any in any form like that in the cinema in a, in a you know a big screen. Okay. Um, now I tried doing some research online about the film and um, uh, other people's theories and ideas of uh, subtext and theme and that kind of thing. And this was almost impossible because everywhere you look, 
someone always brings up the question, or rather it's not the question, it's just a flat-out statement. Well, the Illuminati killed Stanley Kubrick because he gave away all their secrets. (laughs) Um, Which raises the question of why they killed him three days after he screened the finished cut of a film he'd been working on for four years. Surely any time in the previous four years, or even earlier, given that he'd previously stated an interest in adapting the book, which is very closely adapted. Hmm. Yes, uh, lo- it's long, longest continuous Longest shoot. continuous film shoot in history. It's shot for over a year. Yeah. And uh, Kubrick had Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman on open-ended contracts, so they couldn't leave until he said they could. They didn't do that again. Well, such was Kubrick's power. Um, Warner Brothers wrote him a black check. They said, you know, spend whatever you want to spend on the movie... Yeah, and then when it's done, if you don't want to release it, that's fine. Well, I mean that's I mean that's an amazing power to have as a director. Mm. That doesn't necessarily always create. I mean, complete freedom doesn't always necessarily create the best product. No, there needs to be a measure of discipline. I think there is. I think there's self-discipline. I think it's. I think it's more like the standard Kubrick methodology of just doing take after take after take after take after take and going over and over the same material until you get exactly what you want. Of refining everything perfectly. Sure. Well, I, I guess then, in that sense, it is. It, it's his thing. So that's that's um, rare, I guess. I guess that means the successes of it are his, and the failures as well, perhaps. The ultimate control of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you if you if you're in control to that extent, and you, and everybody is doing what you say to that extent, then the good ba- bits are yours, and the bad bits are yours as well. Yeah. I suppose. One video I found um, started off with the wonderful opening statement. We all know Bob Hope was involved in MK Ultra. Ah, <laughs> oh dear. Well, I mean, <laughs> and it made a connection between the Illuminati and Bob Hope based on this movie because one of the masks worn by um, one of the manservants at the orgy sequence looks a little bit like Bob Hope in profile, and that was the extent of their right. concept. Well, I mean. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting things that people have written about the uh, not not about the Illuminati, but about why people are interested in this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and conspiracy theories and mysteries and things like that. Um, there are other podcasts dedicated to that. Yeah, I'm sure but, there are many. But I mean, it didn't affect the film, as far as I'm aware. No, well, so, well, supposedly yeah. it affected the director and his continued living. Um, all right. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, I don't believe that for a. Uh, a millisecond, well, but but also the fact that, as you say, that, that there's a you know he produced the film. Whether it was his final cut, I know there's a little bit of sort of debate about that. The premiere wasn't supposed to be for another three months, and so actually little color tweaks and little sound edits and things like that. Um, there's a suggestion that you know he would have tinkered with it for a lot longer. As far as I know, there was only one change made between the version that he screened and the version that is currently available. Oh, sure, sure, but no, but I, I mean that the expectation from apparently oh, from right, people that have worked with him would say that well he would have tinkered with it for another couple of months, right? Minor things, not plot changes, but right, but in just, the sense of mu- music, music cues and and uh, little little tweaks, um, uh, potentially a slightly different take, um, but but covering right. the same material because he had to screen it for Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman uh, to get releases for the nudity clauses apparently. So they had to see it to sign off on it, as well as Warner Brothers accepting it that this was a movie that they would show. But 
Tom, well, Tom Cruise is never naked in the movie. No, but I don't know whatever, whatever the no, but I don't know the intricacies of their, well, their contract. As far as I know, the um, the that last screening was for the, for studio executives. It wasn't anything to do with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Uh, you you might be right. I I'd heard that there were four people in the room. I can't remember. So well, maybe they were there as well, but I don't believe there was anything to do with signing off on clauses. Or oh no, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, but but either way, I, I mean, I suspect. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm meaning is that if you've got a, a director who's as exacting as he is. That even if you think you're getting something that is 99% of the film uh, that he intended, uh, intended um, that's not quite no, the film he, he intended. Still, he He'd still tinker on that one percent for yes. you know another couple of months. Well, that's why I think the, that that one change was made um, when uh, Bill is leaving the bathroom in Ziegler's house, and the camera is tracking back. It passes by a um, a bath that has. Um, screens around it right with um sort of chrome pillars and you can see the camera and the cameraman reflected very briefly in one of these chrome pillars and that was in the original theatrical release and on the home video release that's been digitally removed right i mean i i you know i i before this i looked up the imdb thing and there's the you know the section with the gaffs and things like that and you know there are still a few things like that there's a been like in shot or, or I think maybe the shadow of the mic in one of the shots and uh, you can see somebody's feet uh, sticking out of something for a moment but these um, are, these things like that do appear in other Kubrick movies as well I mean that's it's, sure and, and, and in everything there's there's some mistake or other I mean yes <laughs> you can look up any but, movie and there's a sort of trivia page that says did you know such and such, such. but uh, minor little things like that Kubrick might possibly let slide or wouldn't necessarily notice I think the, the people who have combed through Eyes Wide Shut looking mm. for proof of their own conspiracy theories have paid even more attention to it, what the image oh, of than course. Kubrick did. Of course. And also, once you once you are producing something like that and you watch it hour after hour after hour, you, you st- I, like if you're writing an essay and you rewrite and you rewrite and you rewrite. And you then, start to become numb to the content. Yeah, and then someone will point a really obvious spelling mistake and you know what you wanted to say, so your brain just goes right past it. Time and time again. Um, <laughs> that's my excuse anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, in light of uh, that gibberish I found online from idiots and um, some reading of my own that I've done using these books that I have here, um, I've formulated my own theory of the movie. Okay. Which I will now present. Right. Uh, I, and it appears to basically be fairly mainstream already, but this is... I've never heard it sort of expressed succinctly. Um, the film is essentially mixing together reality and dreams. Okay. It treats the two as interchangeable. So Bill's nighttime journey is effectively a dream, but it's presented as real because the point of the film is that our dream life and our waking life are of equal standing, that they are how what we experience in our dreams is shaped by our own selves. Okay. And therefore it is as real an experience in terms of what we do and how we behave in that dream environment. It's as real as that as how we behave in the waking world. I think thematically that's interesting, or maybe philosophically that's an interesting thing to explore. I'm not convinced it holds up as a... just a... If I just simply watch the film... I think if if the nighttime adventures are a dream, 
but they're uh, real. That's the thing that it's it's a reflection of of Bill's own psyche, but it's presented in the story as real. It's a the title of the original book is Dream Story. Sure, sure, and I understand, and and, and uh, you know the the conversation in uh, in Hamley's <laughs> clearly in Hamley's at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, and it wasn't Hawkins Bazaar. You know when Nicole Kidman's character. What is Nicole Kidman's character called? Alice. Alice. Okay. Bill and Alice. I mean, I, I mean, there was no point in watching them, but I didn't think oh, that's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. They're not a slight on their acting. I'm just there was no point at which I didn't think. I'm pretty sure his character's name is Tom. Is he lying to people when he called? Uh, anyway, never mind about that. But but you know that sort of final conversation where they're sort of saying you know the idea of having survived their adventures and. You know, there's a bit of the dream in the real, and there's a bit of a real in the dream. Yes. Um, so I think I think that's neat, um, but I don't know. I, I, I when I was watching it, I wasn't sitting there sort of thinking that. I was sitting there thinking, how long is this take? I, yeah, I think that's the thing because I've seen the film a number of times now. I'm used to it. Mm, okay. <laughs> I'm used to it taking its time, so it's freeing up that bit of my brain to focus on the details and because I'm also making notes at the same time whereas you were watching it for the first time and you were struggling with it a bit as many did yeah I mean I saw the film twice in the cinema right I'd never, okay. I'd never done that before but um, the movie is colour coded of course as I'm sure you noticed the colour's a tricky one I think because of his insistence on using natural light do you mean natural or well it's not always natural yeah natural the way he... source natural source uh, and so I think that's interesting, but I think it's slightly un... It's not undone, actually, but, but it, it, I think it's interesting to, to think of what it would be like now. I think control over lighting and colour processing and all that sort of stuff with digital is so fine now. I'm sure in 20 years' time, somebody looking back will say no, but it seems so um, easy, I guess, comparatively, or sort of part of the overall toolkit you get yeah. that... Um, well, actually, sorry, I'm rambling here because I, because part of me thinking, well, I, I guess people nowadays might err on the side of overusing it. Right. You know, you don't want to make it too obvious. But some of the lighting things I thought were kind kind of annoying. The the, the really uh, really stark blues of the uh, you know looking into the uh, when he returns to the apartment. Yes. Um, uh, during the sort of well the morning, I guess. You know. It's, sort of really, really blue and things like that. And, and, and so sometimes the colour uh, sort of annoyed me. You know, I mean, of course, it, you know, using it to convey a message is yeah. interesting, but sometimes it just distracted me and, and, and made me think, oh, this is like watching a play, where, of course, you can't alter the lighting too much. You don't get as much control. No. Unless you've really decided to say, well, this is clearly an element you know, that we want to draw attention to. The code, the code that I noticed, I mean, it's, it's red and blue that uh, Bill's psyche is marked by red and um, the uh, sort of psychic environment of Alice is blue. So her dream, her, the, kind of the flashbacks to her uh, making love to the naval officer yeah. was all blue. When he, got, when he returns to their apartment the first thing in the morning, it's, it's blue because he's returning to Alice's environment. Whereas the red, it's the red door of Domino's apartment. It's the, you know, the red cloak in, in, the, um, in the orgy. It's the red baize snooker table in Ziegler's study. Yeah. It's all part of the, the bill environment of his dream world. Sure. I, 
and then it merges at the end when Alice is asleep in bed with the mask from the costume mm. on the pillow next to her. What colour are their bed sheets? Oh, I can't remember by that part. Purple. Right, okay. A mixture of red and blue because okay. the two have now merged. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't really tend to go crazy for that sort of thing. I because either either it is subtle enough that you uh, I, I didn't see I didn't notice the purple bed sheets <laughs> I think I was in despair at that point but um, uh, but I think either either it's subtle enough that you know you see it on the second viewing I, I just mean a film in general yes or it's definitely sort of like a theme it's front and center you know like the um, pushed at you uh, hero the uh, the protagonist the, 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 no 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 sorry I mean uh, the the martial arts film. Oh um, right, where there's oh, where yes. there's very clear uh, sort of yes, colour schemes. Yes, um, each, you know, each of the three stories. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, I, that's interesting. I guess <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to uh, knock it. I I just um, I don't. I don't know. I'm not always that keen on that sort of thing. Like you know, when you have a thing saying, "Oh look, the number thirteen is always repeated here," or it's, it's okay. It's kind of the um, it, it can get hokey very. Quickly De- decoding a film to figure out what's going underneath. So, I mean, I don't mind allusions are, are to things, all, but are all those DVDs in that wrapping over there yours? Uh, because one of them yes, Mulho- with some caveats. Is Mulholland Drive yours? Because Mulholland Drive is a film that's exactly like that, if not more so. I have not seen it. Ah, that is. I a... don't think you're going to like it very much. No, um, <laughs> I keep meaning to, and then. It's very good. Well, I liked it. <laughs> I mean, well, no, I mean, it's it's very highly regarded. But mm. um, I keep I keep thinking, oh, I'll watch it. Um, but then it never seems like there's something, and I'm just going to sit down and uh, and watch. I've had it for a long time without watching it. Is what I mean to say. I would say I'm not claiming responsibility for some of those uh, D- uh, DVDs. We've got a Little Britain box set. I have no idea where that came yes, from. Yes, and a separate other Little Britain DVD as well. I didn't want to raise this. I, and, also, and also the Ricky Gervais box set. I mean, is, I don't... Is that yours? I don't, know where, have have about I don't know where... I don't know where... There's also Bloodsport 4, <laughs> which is... I mean, I haven't seen that's, any of the Bloodsports. That's, that's where the series really comes into its own. Right, okay. That's like the Police Academy 5 of the Bloodsport series. Oh, yeah. Could you succinctly describe the plot of the film? Eyes Wide Shot, not Bloodsport 4. Um, could I succinctly do it? In just... Simple, broad strokes, the basic story. Well, uh, I guess what you're saying is a, a doctor um, has a series of encounters, some imaginary, some not. A bit more detail? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, Dr. Bill is sort of uh, drawn into, uh, yeah, again, like encounters. Uh, yeah, well, uh, or, 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 perhaps, or perhaps maybe you'd sort of say he sort of begins to unravel and then climbs back out of that. That's a terrible moment. He unravels, then re-ravels? I don't know. Um, he, he reforms himself, like, yeah. like Ham. Yeah, well, you can, you can point to certain things that, that sort of happen, that, that sort of drive the next thing. Mm. So the sort of revelation about his wife's sort of fantasy. Well, it starts even earlier with um, the Christmas party that they go to. Sure, but I think that's setting up... Because it's that, s- it's that uh, that then leads Alice to admit that she almost ran away with a stranger and then mm. when Bill is called out in the middle of the night to attend to a patient who's died and he then goes off on his little quest 
Oh, sure, sure. And, uh, and, and drives him off into this dream world of um, imagined revenge and sure, but, but But up until that point, uh, uh, up until the point where, he, where Alice reveals um, her sort of fantasy of, of, of that aspect, um, they are together, at least in theory, in the party. And so they're sort of together, then they sort of split apart at that point. Yes. And then eventually, eventually come back together again. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying that the party isn't important, of course, but it, it's sort of setting up lots of things. Yes, so you, it's... You, you understand a, a bit about the characters, but also simply some plot elements of who certain people are, not just as, as characters, but who, are they, who they are going to be with regards to mm. how the story is driven. And, 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 the, and the, the mentor figure of Ziegler, mm. who's throwing the party, is Bill's friend. We have Nick Nightingale, who's an old friend of Bill's, who's a piano player who he ends up meeting up with later and pulls him even further down the rabbit hole. Sure, yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that the film kicks off because he meets uh, Nick Nightingale. The film kicks it's, off. It's, I mean, it's part of it. It's part of it, but he, the film kicks off because he meets the two models at the party and they are on the verge of enticing Bill away somewhere private when Ziegler's uh, manservant or butler says, excuse me, could you come and speak to Mr. Ziegler? Because Ziegler has uh, been having sex with a prostitute and she's taken a speedball and is now in a coma. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. But... And, and it's that that drives... I'm not, dis- I'm not disputing that definitely happens. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yes, you can watch the not, film, that definitely happens. It's just how everything connects together. Yeah. Right, yeah. because that... Because... It's, I mean, it, it's, it's well plotted. Yeah, I mean, the... I think. the um, the pieces move around in a it's, pleasing manner, yeah, definitely. And um, in terms of uh, in terms of plot, I think it's actually quite lean. I mean, it's over two and a half hours long, but the actual story is it's quite threads together very simply. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's only there are only a few there are only a few characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah yes, I, I I agree. As I, as I say, the, the pieces move around nicely. That, that's not. Um, <laughs> that's not that's not an issue, no. and so it's quite satisfying in that that regard. You don't feel cheated by the presence or lack of presence of anyone. I don't think. Uh, no, well, it's funny you should mention that because the production lasted for so long that Kubrick wants to go back and reshoot certain scenes, but his actors had already gone on to do something else, so they had to reshoot the new scenes and then reshoot the original ones. I do think there is indulgence there, definitely, and and beyond simply people willing to indulge him. Think a four hundred day shoot, or whatever it eventually ended up being, that is too much for what has been produced. But it only cost fifty million dollars. It was relatively cheap. I mean, that's half the cost of Terminator Two. Well, it was made years earlier. So but which is the better film? About forty percent of the cost of Terminator Two. But which is the better film, Jeremy? Uh, it's Terminator Two. It's definitely Terminator. Uh, it absolutely, is Terminator Two. There are. There are certain times of day that certain films are right for. Terminator Two is a summer movie. This is a Christmas movie, although it was released. No, in July. you would no, you would watch you would watch Terminator Two in Christmas. No, I wouldn't. I'd watch this at Christmas, and so should you, listener. It's great. It. I mean, it's worth seeing. I. You know, you've oh, you've good. made me watch some films that I really wanted that time back. But uh, you but thought, the, this, you thought this was time well spent. In. The end. Oh, in God. the end. In the end, because because up until about the hour and a half mark, I was thinking, I, I can't handle this. I, hate I can't. Jeremy. I hate Jeremy. I can't, I can't do it. 
the Tom Cruise sort of making small talk with models, uh, and it is so it's so long and so awkward. I will give you that that's the scene where he goes back to Domino's flat does go on longer than it needs to, where he's talking to her flatmate. That yes, scene, but, that it's the, but it's the long. same thing. The way, uh, too long, too long. Yeah. And But, but that, that, I mean, that's where I was sort of sitting there thinking, oh, it, it is interesting how short takes are at the moment and how fast things are and how mm. everything is, the editing is very clipped and, and all that sort of stuff. It, um, but for instance, now I haven't seen it in quite a while, so... You know, I might be wrong, but things like uh, Barry Lyndon, right? That seemed as if it had long takes, and so and and that and well, let's say luxurious timing. Mm. But I didn't mind that at any point. I think that's a great film. That's funny because I find Barry Lyndon very slow. No, it, oh, okay, rather okay, than rather than, than measured. Oh, okay. No, no, rather than measured. I actually, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, you I think it's it, slow. I find it quite hard to watch. It's very beautiful. Uh, but I think it's more an issue of uh, Ryan O'Neill being a very boring actor. Well, it's not a perfect movie, let's see. Well, no. So, but, it's but, a, but here, it's hardly Tron Legacy, is it? It's, <laughs> it's no Tron Legacy, that's true. But, but, but here, I, I guess because in part you're ta- you, it's set in, in an urban environment. It's normally set in New York. That's a whole thing that I want to talk about. But... Um, you know, you feel like it should, there should be, I don't know, a bit of pace to some of them, some of the bits. Perhaps even, if nothing else, to, to contrast with, say, uh, the orgy party, Illuminati meeting thing. Um, you know, it, it, even if you're changing colour schemes and you're changing style, I suppose, um, uh, there's so many Baroque aspects of, of, of the orgy thing, um, pacing, pacing doesn't change. Really? No, but it's meant to be dreamlike. It's meant to be slow, and even there are elements in the um, in the real world that are foreshadowed. That, well, there are elements in the dream world that are foreshadowed in the real world. Like when Bill gets the call, um, uh, he hangs up and says, oh, "So and so has died. I'm going to have to go over there and show my face." And it's been suggested that the call in the the other reading is the call is an invitation to the party where he literally has to show his face because he takes the mask off. Right. Okay, well, uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> and when he does get there, um, the environment is almost a mirror of his own home. The woman there, who's originally Jennifer Jason Lee, mm. then recast yeah. as Marie Richardson, looks a lot like Alice. And she is in love with him and she wants to run away with him. And then her fiancé turns up and he looks exactly like Bill. Yeah. So it's this strange internal, external mirror. Sure, sure. And I suppose the bit where he phones, he phones that house and the fiance picks up. I'm remembering that right, haven't I? He phones the house later on. He phones the house, but the fiance picks up. Yes, he does. Um, so I guess you could, if you want, you can read that as you know he's unable to sort of breach between the. He's able to. He's he's not able to communicate across the mirror uh, properly. He he's he's always reaching towards making this move of infidelity, this mm. revenge on Alice. Yeah. But he he always ends up sort of getting in his own way. There's always yeah. something that ends up stopping him. Yeah. And if we go by the whole th- 
thing being a real a real world dream, he it's himself. Yeah. I, I, can I let, can I point out a couple of things? First of all, I could have done without the flashbacks. I could have, well okay once to the um, the to Alice and the and the naval officer. Okay, they just looked like they had been parachuted in from just another movie. Uh, shot for four pounds. I like how yeah. every time you see it, it's getting, it's progressed further and further. Yeah, but I just, oh, I don't so it's, know. It's, it's, he's, he's thinking it through. It's still preying on his mind. And it's just turning into this little knot of bitterness. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that's what, what what's sort of happening. And I, I can't think on a, a podcast, an audio format, how to sort of spoof it without just sort of acting out a weird thing. But it, it just seems like a really cheap kind of. You know, in the same way that you get a really cheap uh, uh, action movie and they shake the camera rather than the set moving or anyone oh, doing anything, you know. Yeah. that It's that sort of uh, like cheesiness, the, the cardboardness that it... But it, that it contrasts with the very solid, sort of fixed... Yeah, but either you are... It's yeah, a, bit, but, a bit more juddery and a bit more... Yeah, but either you are going to maintain the, the look, the feel, the pace and all that sort of stuff, or... You're going to have contrasting elements. Uh, you can't be a genius for having. Uh, well, no, I suppose you can, but I'm not giving Kubrick the credit for one thing and the other. Oh. He can he can have one or the or the other, but he can't have both. Those uh, those scenes, incidentally, uh, between um, Alice and the sailor, it took two days to shoot those, and uh, Tom Cruise did not know about it until afterwards. Well, I, 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 that's why I'd read that. that um, she was instructed not to talk about. Well, that he knew that they, that was the scenes that were being done, but he was. She was instructed not to tell him about what happened ah. on set, and it was clo- you know it was a closed set. I I, t- I, I don't know. It's it, it's just such an alien way of uh, operating. Um, that ki- that kind of artistic sort of deliberately putting psychological tension on things, and, and, and it's so alien to anything I do, of course that that. I, I, I never know how I feel about uh, things like that. Right. You know, whether to get annoyed about them or just go, oh, for goodness sake. You know, my temptation is to just go, oh, for goodness sake. Oh. When um, Bill is being lured away from the party by the models, he asks them where they're going. And uh, one of them says, where the rainbow ends. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the costume shop? Uh, rainbow. Or Rainbows. But, rainbow, but, rainbow Fashions. I rainbow Fashions, that's, that's it. Yeah, no, again, I, I mean, it's nice that there are these... And it has a red hoarding on the outside as well, of course. It, it, you know, the, the, these are good, these are fun. They, I mean, these are great for sort of movie a trivia things. And I suppose if you spot them first time round, or you, or you spot them immediately. Actually, the thing is, I think if you spot them immediately, doesn't that, that, sort of, that somewhat spoils it, I think. If you can see, if you see through all of it. If you can see enough... To stimulate interest in digging deeper. Yes, I think okay, that that's fair. I think if you, if if it is stimulating interest, that's fine. But if it's there, and all that it provokes is that you feel clever about doing it, I mean, I guess you're getting something out of it, but it do, it doesn't. Um... Well, um, an example that I keep coming back to is um, a film that, no matter how hard I try, I can't pronounce in any other way other than as George Formby, which is Mother. I have oh the new um, the Aronofsky Aronofsky film, yeah, I, I which um, it. it's like that it's 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 that it's the whole film turns out to be a metaphor and everything is a metaphor for something mm. and it's fairly obvious what the metaphor is 
um, I've said it in another podcast, I won't tell you now because okay. I don't want to spoil it, but you won't ever see it because it's the side of film that you won't enjoy. <laughs> but um, everything is metaphorical, everything is symbolic, and it's, you, have to, you have to kind of process it as you're watching it to, uh, to appreciate what's going on. Yeah, I don't know, I think I, that, that sort of thing is a dangerous game to play with audiences because you can end up with, you know, Family Guy, here's a reference you might remember, sort of cut away or something like that. That's not just criticising Family Guy because it's a, it's a fashionable thing to do. But I, I just mean that, that, yeah, as I say, it's a kind of dangerous game because that can exhaust somebody. Well, as much as it might enthrall someone else, you might well, exhaust that, somebody. That may well be one reason why Mother was a huge co- commercial failure. Because it, was, because it was promoted as being a home invasion horror movie and it's actually an allegory about God, man, and the nature. Yeah, but, okay. I, I guess, but, I mean, well, this is getting onto a different film, but I, do you think it then word of mouth killed it? Um, that as well, yes. Okay. Because it had such a negative reaction from the audience. But are they, you then relying on an audience that will return and watch the film more than once in the cinema I, I'm just that's, ju- that's I'm just genuinely curious about that if if you've got a film that's sort of missold if you've got people to turn up for it at least Jennifer Lawrence in a, a yes. sort of home invasion thing probably is I, I can in some way sense why the marketing department went with that because they thought it would be an easier more commercial yeah. sell what they should have done was not opened it in 2000 theatres they should have opened it in 10 and promoted it as an art house movie would that have made more money, you think, in the long run? It would have given it more time to build, and it wouldn't have gone right. Opening weekend, it's a failure, everyone hates it. Okay. It would have been able to build a more selective audience. Oh, you, should, you think there's a, there's, a, there's a stink of failure that you get even after the opening weekend now? Oh, the opening weekend is be-all and end-all. If you fail then, you failed. It doesn't matter how long it runs in the cinema. Mm. But if you open, little opening, New York and Los Angeles, and it gets a good re- it got good, some good reviews... Yeah, and it gets a good reaction from city folk. That can then build into something, and okay. it would have, might have ended up making more money. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, Eyes Wide Shut, I think, is his most, is Kubrick's most commercially successful film. Um, not adjusted for inflation. All oh, right, okay. Adjusted for, adjusted for inflation. It's still two thousand and one, which was a massive hit. Right. Okay. Okay. But um, Eyes Wide Shut did reasonably well. Um, it underperformed dramatically for a Tom Cruise picture but for the kind of film that it is a kind of two and a half hour relationship drama with sure. thriller elements they did fairly well I guess I guess maybe underperforming for a film that has Tom Cruise in it yes. rather than a Tom Cruise picture because this really isn't like the vast majority of his work well at the time there was no such thing as a film with Tom Cruise in it. There were Tom Cruise films. They were all star vehicles. Yeah. And it was very rare for him to work with a director and seed control of the whole production. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, but again, Kubrick was such a draw. Exactly. That's, that's, that's why Tom Cruise said that he wants to work with, he wants to work with Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, yeah. He I'm, wouldn't. I'm, yeah, of course. Um, um but uh, he wasn't the first choice. They'd been developing the project for so long that um, Steve Martin had been... Um, I think he'd been considered. Yeah. But Harvey Keitel had filmed some scenes. Harvey Keitel was the original... Oh, no, that's instead of, instead of... Yes. 
instead of uh, is it Sidney Pollock? Yes. Is that right? Okay. Um, Woody Allen at one point. Um, but again, just considered, right? I considered. Mean, Val Kilmer was desperate to be in the film. And desperate to work with Brando, and that uh, did and not that, work and that, out. And that wound up well, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sure as soon as he decided I'm going to cast the movie, he had people falling at his feet. Well, yes, but um, the, Bill's last name gives an idea of what kind of thing that he wanted. Oh, I've heard this because he wanted a Harrison Ford. Yeah. Type, yeah. Rather than someone who was explicitly, or, or, or well, maybe not explicitly, but uh, was Jewish, because in the in the book, in the book, he's Jewish, he's Jewish. which is um, and suffers anti, sort of anti-Semitism from a group of young guys, whereas in the film, um, they shouted the, him and accused him of being gay. Yeah, which, given the rumours that have surrounded Tom Cruise for many years, is quite interesting. Well, sure, but no, but I'm thinking more just. That that process of sort of, um, well, as Kubrick as Kubrick had sort of said, you know, make him a sort of a plain American. Yes, a typical you know. wasp type. Mm. Robert Redford in the seventies, he would have been perfect. Well, this film seemed very old fashioned. I think. Well, Kubrick's an old fashioned filmmaker. Yeah, and, as, and as in fact, he, didn't he? Did he said his style of shooting, style of editing is much slower and much uh, more thoughtful. Than anything else you'd see from 1999. Aha, uh-huh, but I think, and in fact, didn't get the rights in '68 or something like that. Did, that sounds about right. Yes, something like that. I mean, I mean, this had been on the back burner for a while. Mm. Or this had been sort of churning over his mind, well, perhaps. The idea was that this was going to be just a little, quick, small project that he could do. It's like, oh, it's a relationship drama. Yeah, a few characters. Um, and that he could polish this off quickly as a way of keeping his hand in while doing pre-production on AI. Yeah. But then it wound up sort of ballooning and occupying the last four years of his life. Oh, it's kind of depressing, I think, because I don't think it's it's worth four years of uh, of, of work. Uh, so a few things. I, I mean, I guess I, I, I didn't think Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were particularly good in it. I think this is Tom Cruise's best performance. Because it's it's honed. It's it's not the big speeches so much. It's not the big gestures. There's so much being done to undermine his character, and it's the way he responds to that. Because he's so often in uh, in the Tom Cruise movies, he's a, a flawless hero who never changes. And here he's going through changes, and it's done with little increments and little subtleties all the way through. But I, there's a reason why the Tom Cruise movie is so successful and why he's so good at that. I mean, I think that's... He's good at that. It's, and things like yeah. Born on the Fourth of July... I mean, it's not that he can't act. I just think, he, I just think he's, he's not... He's not good in this. It's, it's like he's been transported in from something else. Right. I, I don't know. I don't, he, just, he just seems otherworldly within, within the context of, of, of the film he's in. You know, but but also Nicole Kidman, who's in lots of things. Um, I didn't I didn't feel like I was watching good stuff on screen for most of it. I thought I thought lots of the sort of supporting players were were. They, I don't know. They just they just fit in better. Um, I just couldn't I just couldn't help always thinking, there's Tom Cruise walking down the street or Tom Cruise you, being a doctor. You never felt that it was able to get past 
the fact that it was Tom Cruise. Yeah. He was just too much of a an icon, really. You could never have to buy into the character yeah. beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that he's not doing good work. It's not that he's incapable of doing, doing things like that. It's a, you know, um, he didn't blend blend into the to the rest of the, the film. I don't think. I don't think. Also, what the thing that really annoyed me, uh, I've got to, I've got to say, is is the reconstruction of New York in England. Why? 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 It just, it just, it, it didn't look right. It looked so obviously a set. Um, it didn't match the interiors of other things. I mean, there's some. I mean, there's some technical gaps about the you know, British plug sockets and things like that. But it, 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 it just made everything look as if it, it was in a playpen there was nothing about this that had to happen in New York um, you could have set it in London it would still be a, a, a world city um, you could still have had an Illuminati thing all of that would have, would have been absolutely fine true but you don't have the control that you have shooting on sets and custom built backlots. Kubrick but that was because, it was because he was afraid of flying and he didn't want to go anywhere else And Kubrick did send his son-in-law all over London, photographing streets. He went all along Commercial Road and photographed the whole of one side of Commercial Road in East London and taped all the pictures together into one long string to find locations. But he couldn't find anything, so he had to build what was in his own imagination. Which looks like a, a set. Dream version. No, I, I see. that. Th- this is where I think that, yeah. that did not work. We only ever see Alice in interiors. Okay, so but they... they... Bill is the one who goes outside. So we're walking through a dream version of New York, and I think on those terms it works fine. I think it's a really good backlot, oh, to be honest. I'm and not knocking the same I, like I like the level of detail that it has. It feels like a real place. I don't. I, I disagree. I think it looks like, like clearly like a set where you can see, you know, how they frame things so that the the um, the, the, the the T junction, the cars drive off, and then another yellow taxi goes past in, in a slightly different way. That, that's the bit I really didn't like. I, I mean, there's also a bit where they do back projection of him walking through New York yes, streets. that doesn't look good. Oh, that doesn't look so street. And, and I'll be honest, I was watching this on a small laptop. So perhaps, I mean, I mean, it's a small screen is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And when that came on, I, I, I just thought, oh, this that, is so weird. That would be more forgiving. I think than watching it on a, on a big cinema screen. Oh, okay. Maybe that really, and, um, you know, when, when he's was, just on a treadmill and something. Yes, I've seen behind this, the scenes footage and it looks yeah. ropey. I think if they'd set him in London, that that would be fine. I think it even even would have added. You could have added a little bit in about the, the couple being sort of slightly estranged and you know um, Ziegler inviting them to things uh, would seem a bit more. Uh, tense for them, perhaps you could, you, you, you know, uh, sort of expat Americans in in London. You, you could have added a little bit in there, but I, I just whenever I, I could, I, I noticed it from start to finish that it looked odd and 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 stagey. I, I think. Right. Um, but the fact, I mean, I like the oddness. I think that feeds into the uh, the style of the film overall. That, I that I, office, that unreality. I, I I have to yeah we'll have to agree to disagree. Okay. I, I I really thought it was um, uh, clumsy rather than otherworldly. I see what you mean about uh, setting it in London, um, but again it would have been it would have been done on backlots. 
they would have had to build it. But you could have done more location shooting. I think you could have. It's hard because the, the way Kubrick works, the level of secrecy, the level of control that he requires, shooting on London streets would have been almost impossible for any... You wouldn't necessarily have to shoot in London streets uh, for lots of it. Oh, it's elsewhere in the UK? Yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the the notion of uh, the Harfords as expats would add, because the, the film is focused on their relationship. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying you would you would have to do that. You, no, you, you would have an extra little bit to play with. It, it, it's just, for the whole thing watching, I was thinking, here, here's a back lot. Uh, here's an interior of a British house. Now, you know, pretending to be in an American apartment. Now, th- that, that sort of thing, I just, throughout the whole thing, I, I, I couldn't, it was just an underlying annoyance. Uh, right. I mean, there were bits where when he goes back to the the uh, the uh, the large house and it's summer, and then he comes back and it's back to Christmas again. That's that's an oh. odd one. Oh, the first time he goes to Somerton. Uh, is it called Somerton? The, the, the house, the orgy house. Yes, when he goes back to it on the day. Oh right. And it's just summer. It's just like I it, noticed. Yeah, if you watch it, you just think. Has he has he driven to the equator? What's going on? <laughs> this is mad. But one could again argue the whole the idea of the dream world. The house is called Summerton. That and, is the and we're in his his dream world. Fair enough there if you is, buy into that, but I th- that. but I think yeah. if you do, but I, I think if you haven't bought into that, these things just just look. Well, you clumsy. should buy into it then, because then all your problems disappear. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. But if if you've decided. Kubrick's a genius. All of this stuff is deliberate, and and a, and and you know it, it's all evidence of a masterpiece. If if you start off with that, then there's lots of supporting evidence. But if you just think I'm going to sit and watch a film, that looks out of place. This looks really clumsy. Uh, I, I'm not sure why this is happening. I think my starting point was always there's nothing that happens in a Kubrick movie by accident. There are maybe a little sort of slips. Here and there, like you know, as I say, the occasional boom mic shadow and the dodgy bit of back production. But anything that's in the movie deliberately is there for a reason. And my interpretation of it may not be any more closer to the mark than anyone else's. This is just what I think. But I'm much cleverer than most people, (laughs) (laughs) and I've read several books. Uh, Good. Well, uh, yeah. Fair enough. And if you disagree, then that's fine because it's a, it's deliberately produced so that it's not hammering me over the head with this is the story that I'm trying to tell. Mm. I mean, it's telling. I mean, that's the, the actually it goes back to Blade Runner. Um, you can just watch it superficially, and it's a story, and you don't have to think about the whole Dreamworld stuff. He goes off because he's angry at his wife for wanting to uh, have an affair, and he goes off on all these adventures, and he gets into far too much trouble and realizes. Oh, the whole. This is all because of me. This is because of my own. Yeah. This is because of my own pride and my own arrogance. And then they reconcile at the end, and he knows right. I have to stay away from danger and stay close to the one I love. Yeah. In the same way, the original Blade Runner is actually just a straightforward detective story with lots of extra things added on to create a, a wider. I can story. see what you mean. I can see where you're going. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess. I, I mean, I guess. If I watched it again, 
I, I, possibly I would get something else out of it, but I'm not as convinced that there aren't just mistakes in it. There aren't just really. That's the thing. I think. I think there are just. I don't mean in. Ter- I don't mean in terms of the plotting. I just think there are bits where directorial choices that that were just that there's just no one telling them they haven't done this correctly. I mean, who would? Who would? I mean, who would tell them? Oh, he had. He wasn't monomaniacal. He, he no, was no, no. But but I but I but. I, 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 I mean, you can, I can never answer this. You, you no. can never answer this, but I, I just wonder sometimes because you know I don't make, uh, you know, critically reviewed films. No, well, or even critically reviled who, films. Who does these days? Uh, but but you know, so I, we, I, I can never answer whether you know what was going on. Of course, um, and these things were always shrouded in secrecy anyway. But um, you know, I think there are some things where, in my opinion, it's fair to say oh, that's just not very good. Well, one of uh... One of his uh, confidants or close collaborators was uh, Leon Vitale, who you may remember from um, Barry Lyndon. He played Lord Bullingdon, okay. one, the one who buggles up his own duel at the end. Um, and he actually has an acting role in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, I mean, I mean, people kept coming back to him uh, yeah. time and time again. He had, he had a sort of stable of people. That, yes, I mean, I mean apparently, he, he, was, he was sort of, um, you know, he wasn't reclusive in... in, in no, he just... In the he, just he just... He, he just did his own thing, he and he wasn't interested in doing some of the other stuff. That he wasn't interested in um, promoting himself. No, and he wasn't interested in being in Hollywood. No, um, well, he, well, there was also the whole flying thing. He liked sure, sure, okay. but but once you accept that, and once you accept that he had a, an amazing house where he had studio stuff set up and production oh, yeah. suites and all sorts of things, then it's not it's not really reclusiveness because he was producing all the time and yeah. he was. Talking to people and he was entertaining and and you know people came and visited him and he had a, a group of people that obviously liked him well enough to work with him and and also the sort of critical acclaim that would draw people to him. He spent quite a bit of time between um, finishing on um, Full Metal Jacket and starting work on Eyes Wide Shut, uh, developing a new kind of cat flap, and also working on um, a kind of cat collar that um, could split if, if if caught on something, allowing the cat to go free. He would just spend his time on these little projects. Yeah, but I, I, I think that's. I mean, that's not. Um, so I, I like that he was. He was still productive. Yeah. He, just, he just wasn't making films. He was just sort of pottering around and making little inventions. And but I, again, I think. I think the thing is, you, you know, you hear about so many, um, or or we have the idea that that uh, Hollywood is another land where it's just a different place and they produce things and you consume what they produce and the, the, the sort of stars and directors and whatever are just they sort of inhabit this kind of odd dream world um, that you, you, know, you, you can watch but you, you don't get to participate in. Um, which is, of course, not true for all the carpenters, carpenters that work on films and, and yes. you know, you know uh, doctors and caterers and all that sort of stuff. So that, uh, And so, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to buy into the idea of the reclusive... Uh, genius director um, and you know he's making cat flaps because he, he had lots of cats he had lots of cats well yeah but exactly but th- th- that's absolutely fine you might yeah. spend your you yeah know. he was just con- he was concerned about the welfare of his cats and thought in, in the same way that you you, you know you, because they retire you don't really hear about actors that retire you have you know the, the, the in popular imagination you just sort of think well actors just end up playing old people. They carry on working <laughs> until they die. Until they die. But actors retire. Yeah. Um, Sean Connery, Cary Grant. Daniel Day-Lewis, a 
coming. We'll see. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> but that's the thing. So, uh, you know, if I had an amazing house uh, and it had all the production suites that I wanted... Have you ever been to the Stanley Kubrick archive? No. You should go. It's very interesting. It's at the uh, University of the Arts uh, at Elephant and Castle. Okay. And they have his archive there in um, uh, temperature-controlled rooms. And you can dial up all sorts of interesting documents and mm. uh, browse through them and oh, wow. look, at, look at the set plans for The Shining. And I actually held in my hands the manuscript Jack types out from The Shining. Wow. And I went through every single page. And it does say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy on every single page. And everyone is different. Wow. I mean... What I would say is, of the Kubrick films I've watched, I've never rewatched any of them. I've never, I've never felt the need after the credits roll to to revisit them. Well, not immediately, but not with the passage of time. No. Oh. I you mean, disappoint me. I mean, <laughs> but you don't care that you disappoint full, me. <laughs> maybe I would. Maybe I would rewatch Full Metal Jacket, but you have seen. You haven't seen all of them, though. I mean, I assume you haven't seen Fear and Desire because I'd anyone seen that. No. I mean, it, that's his his first film, which he suppressed for a very long time. But you can actually now get on home video. No, no, I haven't seen that. Um, but I'm trying to think. No, I, I don't think I've rewatched any of them. I mean, I, I don't really like rewatching films anyway. I've got to admit, like that. You know, are I, you one I, of those people? I am one of those people. I don't. I don't. There's, there's only certain films, and they tend not to be like good films that I like to rewatch. There's there's ones. That, but a particular sort of mould that I sometimes can revisit, usually because I only have to devote 10% of my brain to them. Weekend at Bernie's. Never seen it. Oh, that's a treat you've got waiting for you. Uh, I mean, I know the story. That's the thing. <laughs> you know, I've seen it on this very things. podcast. It's a, it's a classic farce. Um, yes, I've never felt the need to rewatch it. I mean, yeah. in part because life's too short. <laughs> but, and, and I don't really feel the need to rewatch Eyes Wide Shut. Although I probably would watch it with someone else that hadn't seen it, because I'd be interested to sort of see what they thought, or you know, you know, immediately after it. Mm. I, I would be interested. At, yes, I would be interested to see what someone thought immediately after it, because a, I'd had a little bit more time to think in, about in it. A, in a similar way, perhaps to the, the 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 ones that we've done before, where we watch a movie together and then we immediately record a podcast. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, but but without actually recording the podcast, just like having a. Human conversation. Just have a human conversation, yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I mentioned Leon Vitale... Okay. Um, he's in the movie. Did you spot him? I don't know him enough to spot him. Sorry. Well, he plays Red Cloak. That's the name under which he's credited. Oh, All right, okay. The, the terrifying Red Cloak figure. Can you think of a scene in another film that is as scary but isn't a horror movie? Uh, good question. I mean... That I did like. I I like the bit where he was led in under the pretext of yeah, his, his taxi, taxi driver, driver and he did yeah. something. That the sort of silence of that and, the, and then and the awkwardness of that and the and the and the realisation of I'm in way over my head yeah. here and and the the problem again going back to Tom Cruise is that I kind of thought if something goes wrong He'll just karate chop his way out of this. This will be fine. He hadn't sold me on the fact that, no, no, he's built the doctor. He can't do that. I really, at that point, I was thinking, it's it's going to be fine. He'll have a gun hidden somewhere. Oh, see that. But, but, oh. but that's what I'm saying. I, I, with somebody else, I might have been okay, okay with that. But, but I, I, 
I hadn't been sold on the fact. You should watch more films with me, because I think <laughs> that my suspension of disbelief would rub off on you a lot more. You think? Yeah. Uh, possibly, possibly. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I didn't. I didn't get the chance to sit down and watch it with no distractions. You know. Oh, oh yes. Well, you know. I. I. I mean, apart from doing two slots, yeah. I, I. You know. I. I. I didn't give it perhaps the attention it deserves. And I think, I mean, I think that is a, a, a valid thing, I think. If, you, if you're if you sitting in a cinema, that's a different experience. That scene where um, he's summoned, it's it's classic anxiety dream. Oh, yes. It's like you know, arriving for the exam you haven't prepared for. Yeah. Everyone's standing there and everyone's watching that and they're all wearing masks so you can't see their face. You can't read their faces. Oh, yes. No, no. I mean, that that, that, that is great, I think. That really is great. Um and you just sort of, yes, your imagination can run wild because you get the, because also because the masks are not um, ridiculous grotesques. They are they're not they're not hyper exaggerated. No, they're all very. I mean, they're obviously all based on Venetian style mm. carnival masks, but they're all they're all weird. The the weird, but, but not the... in an unrealistically weird way. You think, well, this is something you know, like a masked ball. That's something that someone yeah. would wear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's restraint there that I think some other directors would not possess. Um, and it does heighten the scariness of it because your imagination runs wild and you start and to think, who you, are these people? And you, Do they have and, faces underneath? You, you, you don't, because, you, because you could even imagine that at some point somebody reveals themselves and they, are, they have no face underneath or, they, or they're an alien or something like that. You, you wouldn't... It wouldn't be out of the question because yeah. things are so odd. There's already. an episode of Doctor Who where that is literally the cliffhanger, where there's a robed, masked figure conducting some kind of cult ceremony, and someone pulls off his mask, and there's just a glow underneath. Oh, uh, okay. It, you know, it's. I mean, but I can understand that. Yeah, that would be that would be a great moment. But here, it's it's the unknown that you know you're in trouble, and you know why, but you don't know what's going to happen next. Yes, and. The way Red Cloak is so... He doesn't move the whole scene. He's just sitting absolutely still. Mm. And it's just his voice. I mean, I assume it's Leon Vitali in the costume. It's definitely his voice on the soundtrack. Sure. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know... And Bill looks... He's trying to maintain that facade, but he's clearly running out of things to say to put off whatever's going to happen. Yes, yes, I, I mean, I did like that. He, and, and You never and, see Tom Cruise scared, and there he looks genuinely terrified. And that's what I think makes it such a great scene, that it's, it's, it's the Roger Moore having a nervous breakdown scene. But also, I, I, I agree, but also I think that then that's also where the slow pace works, because the, 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 the pauses before he responds gives you enough time to think, What's the exact combination of words that will get me out of this? Yeah. Or like, what's the least committal? What's the you, you know when he gets asked for the second password, you're sitting there thinking, this this is a trick. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe it's because I had when I sort of first watched it and then abandoned it. Maybe I, maybe I had seen up to that point, or maybe just because it's one of the possibilities and it's, it's what came to me at the time. I was thinking, well, there's obviously no second password. That's the trick. Yeah. You know because. Apart from anything else, that's how you would resolve that bit of the plot. Mm. But you're sitting thinking there, you have enough time to think, what, what would I say? What would I say at this point? How, you know, getting angry is not the right approach. No. Uh, 
There's just too, saying sorry won't work. There's too many people to try and fight your way. Yeah. Out. Although there's a bit of your mind thinking, it's Tom Cruise, he can still take them, it's fine. No, he, he's, he Bill run. he's Bill Harford, he's a milk toast. I don't buy him as, as anything, but he would punch his way. Anyway, never mind. Um, but yeah, I, so that is where the the slow pace absolutely works. Because there it goes from being just a slow pace, it becomes suspense. Yes, the gaps are filled by your own brain, Yeah, and it's, if nothing else. This is uh, it's something that I call the jigsaw puzzle effect, where the audience's reaction becomes part of the film. The two have to interlock in order for it to be a complete right. entity. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, but long <laughs> the, bit where, the bit at the start where, where Nicole Kim and Alice is dancing with the Hungarian guy. I just I couldn't. I couldn't... The, um, mean, oh, Mr. Smooth? Mr. I mean... Uh, uh, the excuse was that she was drunk, East but... Europe, East European Roger Moore. Oh, imagine if... Right. Silly tangent. Set in the UK. The movie set in the UK. That character's played by Roger Moore. Better, but then, then you're... And you're, is Roger Moore really doing it seriously? Really taking it seriously? No, but it, it would be because you were watching and going, that's Roger Moore. And so there'd be something interesting in seeing him act that way. But what you're, you're not seeing, an unknown actor by the name of Roger Moore that, that, that looks like Roger right. Moore and is in that scene. The thing you're is saying that the, 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 the Roger Moore that, that I have in my head yes. being, being cast in that film would, right. would, would be interesting to see. You're right. Mm. but Because I don't know anything about that actor that was actually... Well, he's actually I, years ago, I saw him in a German film Okay. Um, and he was playing a um, mean-spirited industrialist. It was a comedy. Okay. So I have seen him in other work. His name's Sky Dumont. He's he is actually German. Okay. Um, but that's the thing. But to me, he was unknown, mm. and so I only had what was on screen to go by, and I sort of thought, "Oh, I don't know." What about it's... Greg Davies? No, but, but not, not the way he looks or anything like that, but, but just, just more... Um, uh, although there, although there, there, there is something kind of... Uh, there is an interesting contrast that he is tall. Tom Cruise isn't. Yes. I mean, there, there is something there, but, but more just... I, that, that scene was so odd in me, such a thought. That seemed incredibly old-fashioned as well. I mean, even the even the even the idea of this sort of um, Alice having this fantasy and that being such such an upset to the to the marriage seemed very old-fashioned. And the argument that they get into seemed now. I mean, I mean, it is almost twenty years old, but yeah, it seemed but he, but much that, older than that. Well, he, well, Kubrick had been working on it since the seventies, so back then it maybe felt a bit fresher, the idea of sort of not acknowledging that um, that Bill thinks that they have the, sort of the perfect life, that you know, mm. he's got wife, daughter, beautiful apartment, presumably extremely well-paid job, um, everything's perfect. Yeah. And then Alice just detonates this bomb under it, saying, well, yeah, but I almost ran away with you just to sleep with one guy for one night, and I would have thrown all the blood all the way for that. Yeah. But like if you, you know, yes, if you'd set it in the 70s or even like the 50s or something like that, 
In the 50s, I don't think it would have worked. I think for the main reason that I don't think they would have had that kind of relationship. And also they smoked pot, and I don't think that a wealthy doctor would have been comfortable. No, okay, Because then enough. you'd have to point to the whole idea of just um, that society already having an undercurrent of vice. Whereas by the 70s, or even by the 90s, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah people smoke marijuana, it's, yeah, you, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that, yeah that's, I mean, that's a good point. I just... Yeah, it just they wouldn't have reacted that way or had that conversation maybe had they been drunk rather than stoned. Yeah, good point. Um, and also, Bill would probably have made more of a fuss about the Japanese men sleeping with that teenager. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. Uh, that that bit at the start, when you see her um, for the first time, maybe you see them for the first time in Rainbow Fashions, Again, that slight sort of, kind of, kind of not wacky comedy, but still a bit sort of. Where is this going? <laughs> this, is, this is going on for too long, and then it's going to come back in a creepy way. Now, of course, when it comes back, and then you realise, well, it was always creepy, but but when it comes back, and you think, okay, there's another element to the creepiness, I suppose. Um, I guess that's giving you something else. But I just remember watching when I was watching it, and when the. The first happens in Rainbow Fashions. Just thinking, what was what was going on? Four hundred days of shooting. This is what came out of it. This I don't know. Must be deliberate, right? Oh but, yes, absolutely. Of course, but but it's I, it's it's just another little bit of I think feedback coming out of Bill's mind. The idea of this, the idea of the the nymphette, which obviously feeds back into Kubrick's films. Yeah. So it's a, a, the film almost, you know, I think, on, on one or two points, I think almost becomes a reflection of Kubrick's own idea that he's producing. But, it, but again, that's it. going. That, that's again leading more and more on this. It's, it, everything's deliberate. Everything's a message. Everything can be related to something else. And again, there's lots to 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 uncover in that, but also it can be exhausting. Yes. But you don't have to wade through all this the first time you watch it. You can just you can just watch it for the main story, and then let sort of the mood and the atmosphere of the other things just sort of yeah wash over you. Yeah, like later on um, when Bill's walking through uh, the streets and he he's being followed. Mm-hmm. That's clearly drawing on Edward Hopper, but you don't need to know that at the time. You can just kind of say, "Oh, that's." With him, like with that mysterious man standing under the uh, under the streetlight. Again, I I hated the backlot so much that at that point, just, I, I I I really thought this is so cartoonish. It's, it's at that a, point. It's a suspension of disbelief. You you couldn't yeah you couldn't buy into it. Yes, because oh, it's a shame. Be, because he, because of the, the because the style of dress is very particular. The 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 the, the motion is very particular. The sight lines are all very particular. That because you don't have the completely natural uh, background. It, it's not. Um, it's not playing off against something. It's not. It's not an unreal element or elements within something more natural. Everything is unreal. But it's related to a real thing. I mean, it's. It's a new. We we understand what's. A, yes, what's but, it, but it's not. It's an unreal representation of a real event. But it's but it's not sort of hyper real or. Um, you know, excessively stylized, deliberately so. But it's an attempt to recreate something. But it's off just enough to feel strange. 
just as a dream would? I think it's off just enough to look cheap. That's the problem. I, it's off just enough that I think, well, I'm clear, you know, here, here we're clearly on a, a backlog. Well, at that moment, um, Bill had to, uh, he's Bill standing at a newsstand and the headline on the newspaper is lucky to be alive. Yeah, but again, again, we, we're now an hour and a bit into it, I think, at this stage. No, we're more than that, actually. I think we're close to two hours. Closer to two hours. So I've reached my limit on hidden messages. Well, not even hidden, but, but, but you but know. But the story inside the newspaper is that um, a model's been found dead and it's... And then when he goes to see Ziegler, it turns out that's the model who uh, stood in for him at whatever was going to happen at the orgy and was also the model whose life he saved at Ziegler's party two days earlier because the two parties connect. But then you've got the newspaper both being a source of actual information or at least within the context that will drive the plot and also being the sort of... Dream. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Here's the thing that's not not really in shot, but yes, Lucky to be Alive is on the front cover. So, you've got the th- you've got you've got both in there, and again and again, f- fine, but if you haven't bought into it, you're just thinking, here's another thing, you know, and then if somebody tells you, oh, did you notice actually the lamppost was, uh, you know, slightly, off. or the, the you know the the door numberings is wrong because that's not how it's done, um, in 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 New York, and you think, well, okay, is that a mistake or is that just some interesting thing? Well, it's a mistake. But because it's because it's irrelevant. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, 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 so I was going to say I think they do number houses, uh, buildings like that in New York, but depends on. No, I think it's even on one side and not on the other. Oh right. No, they, they do that in Britain as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 what they've got is what they've got is all is sequential numbering. Oh, I see. Right. I, I believe. Thought, I, I believe thought, in correct. I think about like the whole block numbers as well no no oh, but, right. but but that's the thing that's what I'm meaning if someone then, if someone comes to you in a month's time and says oh, oh yeah I, I like wise words too do you notice actually the numbers if you try you know you, you, you put letters to the numbers they actually spell out um, the opening lines of Lolita and you're like right okay but enough well the way the way I would read it just being the, the continuous numbers along one street is that's the only side of the street that Bill's interacting with so for him the numbers go up sequentially the other side of the street is so that's just in the back of his brain. That's not where his attention is lying. So that's not quite as real. Okay. That's so you've decided it's deliberate rather than it's just a mistake in that's, tape dressing. That's the way I'm interpreting it. Okay. Again, as I said, the way I'm reading it, yeah, is not necessarily any more valid. But it's, I'm, <laughs> but I, it I, is. I, I can, it is. I can kind of tie everything, or everything, most things into of course, this idea. of course. So it. But but this but now you're meant now now the, the, going back to the start, this almost mirrors the behaviour of people that are into the Illuminati, and how they can tie anything into anything. Except I'm not claiming that this is based on a true story. No, but it, you you might fall down that rabbit hole, and then you're thinking, well, actually, I watched this film first in 1999 on the such and such and such and such, and if you rearrange those numbers, you actually get a list of coordinates that leads to the former home of Bob Hope who clearly was, you know, it, it's that sort of thing where you think, okay everybody's got to draw their own line where they decide I'm not, I'm not interested enough in this a, a, anymore and, and I've got to admit, be, because I, I was um, put off by the, literally the sets themselves, I just thought not, I, 
I, I think if the sets put you off, the rest of the film doesn't stand much of a chance. No. No, no possibly not. And, and you know. But, but I do think I gave it a fair shot. I mean, I don't... I, yeah. I, I was, there was an undercurrent of annoyance with how stagey everything was. But, you know, I, I watched it. I watched it till the credits rolled. I did my job. And then you turned it off immediately. Um, yeah, because I think... Sorry, I'm just repeating the same thing, but yeah, I, I don't think I've rewatched any of Kubrick's films. I do find them quite cold and... He's not sentimental. He's never been sentimental. No, but I, I, I don't like sentiment, but I, 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 I do find them quite sort of empty in some ways. Intellectual um, rather than emotional. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm opposed to that, in theory at least. I don't know, I just... I, I, um, it can, uh, I know what you mean. It can, it can be hard to care about something that's cold and difficult to engage with. I, I, I feel that they don't really fully inhabit a, 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 or they don't inhabit a fully or nicely fleshed out world. I can't imagine anything happening really be, beyond what, what's put in front of you. And I think that's true of... of uh, I felt that with Barry Lyndon. I, I felt that with uh, Full Metal Jacket as well. well I, d- I don't know how to but, describe it but, probably. But, I, I, but uh, many of Kubrick's films though, are deliberately placed in hermetically sealed environments. I mean, Full Metal Jacket is it's Paris Island. This is one enclosed world. And then the, the Vietnam, I mean, that's one enclosed world. The Shining is the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. Um, I don't like The Shining. I've got to admit that. I don't think it's a good film. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so. See, the ghosts are here now to get you. They're angry. Um, and the um, the society, so the high society milieu of Barry Lyndon is another hermetically sealed world. So it's not really, it's not. It's not I'm not saying that's a, a mistake. Um, I, I, I get that. I just. Um, it's an attitude that does not necessarily lend itself to audience engagement, which is entirely fair, and I agree. Okay, I I, I just you know personally, I, I I I guess maybe that's why I don't rewatch them because I, once I've watched them, I think well. I've absorbed the information that I want from them. I don't feel the need to revisit them to to kind of to I guess luxuriate in what I'm being shown right. again. You know, whereas something like Blade Runner, Blade Runner. I mean, a, a lot of Blade Runners, the setting, and even though it's a dystopian, horrible setting, it, that, that's interesting. I suppose it, 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 it's it's uh, it's dystopian. It's horrible. There is but I like there. rewatching that or like revisiting that world um i was thinking of sorry because it well no it's, it's not similar at all but i was thinking something like the the duelists oh which is a small film really uh with only a few people in it really but i don't know i just think that inhabits a, a world a bit better and i would happily rewatch that even though I've seen it, I know exact. You know, I know what happens. Um, it has like a particular style, which mm. you know, uh, and again, that's the sort of thing that can exhaust an audience because uh, you know a particular aesthetic can, yeah, as I say, can sort of exhaust an audience. But and and uh, you know, there's nothing really to compare with the duelists and eyes wide shut or even Barry Lyndon or anything like that. But uh, that's just an interesting one where I would say that I, I'm happy to. Rewatch that and inhabit that world again, right. um, even if the focus is quite tight, really. Yes, the the focus of the story. The focus of the story, yeah. Yes. Um, 
Whereas Kubrick, I sort of watch it and then think, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done with that. What, I mean, what a beautifully constructed machine. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly what Stephen King thought about The Shining. Well, I mean, that puts me in the unfortunate position of agreeing with Stephen King about films, and he is uh, <laughs> notoriously... Um, I think it's the one thing that most people disagree with Stephen King about, because his, his ideas of whether or not he's a good film director... And such uh, or just a good judge of, of films. He said, well, he has said, I think, that his two favourite adaptations of his own work are The Shawshank Redemption and The Mist. And I would agree... Because they've been changed enough that... Uh, he uh, said he, that he preferred the changes. Yeah, no, of course, uh, that, that's okay. But, um, I, I, I don't know, it's, it, The Shining is also another one that pe- people famously really fall down the rabbit hole in terms of what every single thing means. And, and indeed, and there is a movie about it. I know, it's, uh, Room 237, which is yeah. extremely interesting. Because I think it's... There's, it goes the the spectrum of interpretations to people drawing on things in the movie and then coming up with a theory of what the whole thing's about. Yeah. And then people who watch the movie projected backwards and forwards at the same time and have theories about it being a confession from Kubrick that he faked the moon landing. Yeah. Again, we're getting into Illuminati, kind of, that... Oh, yeah. That sort of... It, it's interesting because it's a different sort of um, obsessiveness or fandom, I suppose, from... The type of person who wants to nudge you and tell you about the backstory of all the characters in Lord of the Rings yeah. and where all the swords came from and where mm. you know these places are named after, and I would say I'm much more likely—I mean, not with Lord of the Rings—but I'm much more likely to be that guy. So I'm saying, did you know that such and such? Um, than I am saying, you know, it's interesting that number seven is on that. That's the channel that he turns to on. You know, I, you know, it's interesting because it, it it's two ways of of going deeper into it. Mm. But one of them, there's a sort of temptation for me to sort of go, oh, look at this, uh, and the other one is just not. Um, it's insane. It, it well, it's 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 ba- not attractive. It's, it's not basically schizophrenia. It, well, yeah, it's 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 not attractive to to sort of my mindset. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm the kind of person that likes facts and things like that. But I, I, <laughs> no, no. Is, but is that on your Tinder profile that you like facts? Like facts? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Dis- dislikes ambiguity. Dislikes ambiguity. Uh, but it's not ambiguity. That's I. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's just. It is maybe it's just. Um, maybe it's just envy because I'm thinking, oh, no one's that clever. Well, in, but in The Shining, there's. There's lots of things there that are left vague as to what they mean. It seems like there's more to it than just being a ghost story. Sure, I just and remember it's... watching it and not enjoying it and just thinking... Okay. And then when it came to the end, thinking, that's the thing that everybody raves about? Again, one has to, one has to buy into it. As, as Mark Cousins, uh, who I've got another DVD of his on the wall over there, um, the story of film. Oh, right. Is that yours? Uh, it's my dad's. <laughs> I borrowed it and haven't watched it. Before we get it back. Um, he said in his introduction to John Carpenter's The Fog that you have to you have to want to be spooked. You have to buy into it. 
in order for the film to work. It's not going to come out and reach you. You have to come and meet it halfway. Okay. So sometimes one... Yeah, I suppose I, 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 I want say, to be oh, won oh, over oh, by films. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll, I'll meet you halfway on this. But I would say I've got that uh, for some films, any superhero film. Because I grew up reading comics and I just I want ah. to see that stuff on screen because I did when I was a kid. And so Batman v Superman, I enjoyed it. <laughs> there is a part of my brain locked you will, away. You will not be of... invited back <laughs> to this show. <laughs> no, but that's the thing, right? So there is a part of my brain that's going, you know about, and then pull out a list of problems. Yeah. Yeah, but it was Batman fighting Superman. So th- there are films where I, I don't have that... Um, uh, that barrier I, I I definitely think I do for horror because I just I'm just not keen on seeing scary things I suppose um, but yeah I would say superhero movies most sci-fi I'm, I'm willing to just go right this and you know that's my background is in science right so there's yeah. so many things where I'm just screaming internally into a pillow going that's not how things work but... in space or on earth but you can, uh, but you'll overlook any sort of scientific uh, shortcuts because you're engaging with a lot, the material. Lots of them, yeah, yeah. If it's a, if it's a good movie, or yes. If you, if you think it's a good movie, yeah. I mean, I guess all, all I'm saying is that everybody has uh, films or styles or aesthetics or, or whatever where your critical faculties don't immediately come on full. You just think it's fine. I, you know. Well, I, like lots of people like sort of rom-coms that I can't sit through, I can't bear them, you know. Um, well, I'm probably that way with westerns, because and musicals, particularly um, yes, more modern musicals. I str- I really struggle with those. Yes, I think I think lots of people would do, and I think I think you're right in in even highlighting modern stuff, because sometimes when you see uh, some older ones like Seeing in the Rain. You just sort of well, think. It kind of, it, the, the, is that what people were? Not, I mean, you don't actually think that's what people were like, but well, you no, just sort of think I, it's fine. It's just a, it's just a particular package. It, it feels you know. well. It, well, singing in the rain, I think, is a special case because it feels like the music numbers kind of flow naturally out of the scenes. It just feels like it's all continuously of a piece, rather than. And now we're having a song, which yeah. is how a lot of other musicals seem to me. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I. And it may be I just, have never sat through a full musical. Oh, you should watch Seeing the Rain. Even though no, but I've seen, but I've seen certain bits of it, and of course I've seen the the, the main uh, yeah, uh, but sequences. Even the non-musical parts of Seeing the Rain are really funny. It's a really funny film. Okay. And the musical sequences are great, but it's also really funny comedy okay. about the dawn of the uh, talking pictures. Okay, I'll have to. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, probably I have seen enough separate things to to piece it uh, to, together. to have seen about 80% of it oh, but I've never sat in a lot maybe I will do that maybe I'll do that at Christmas is that, a good it, Christ- is that a Christmas movie? Um, it was on Christmas Day last year it was on and Christmas morning on Channel 5 but is it a Christmas movie? I didn't movie? even need to look but, that up listener but, but what I'm saying is is it a Christmas movie rather than a summer movie? you were you were saying this before well is it an autumn what was, movie? What, or was the, uh, what did I say was a summer movie? Terminator 2. Oh, yes. Well, that's a big blockbuster of a film. And that feels like it's a natural fit for the summertime. And it's also, there's, a, there's heat in the film. 
there's like a sense of heat, so that, that kind of ties in with. That's why you need it Christmas time. But I think Terminator. I'm going to watch Terminator Two. But Eyes That's why I decided. But Eyes Wide Shut is has a Christmas setting, and it's about. Ultimately, it's 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 almost as you could say it's a story about forgiveness. I think it's a nighttime film. It's definitely a nighttime film. Well, I mean, watching it at eleven in the morning would be oh no would be tricky. I think it's a, a nighttime. Um, even even I think maybe nighttime and you are tired movie even though it's two and a half hours long I think I think that's the sort of thing where if you if you it, not the sort of thing where you've got the energy to get up and make yourself a cup of tea or, or do it you're almost zonked out and and this comes on I think you would you would keep going but it's um, it's something that would maybe um, again it's the kind of the jigsaw puzzle thing that your own slightly maybe slightly drifting off state might engage nicely with the film yeah yeah and then you might go off on a little brain odyssey of your own yeah well I think overall it's a very underrated movie I I mean people when it came out really slammed it and I suspect it was because they knew that Kubrick wasn't going to come and get them (laughs) possibly Um, but I think it's it's a really interesting film I think it's one that is worthy of close examination and yeah, I, re-examination, I, I, definitely. I, I think I would agree, actually. I think I, I, I'm not sorry that I saw it. I did struggle, as I say, after the first hour and a half, I thought, I don't know if I can get through this. And I think it's not... Um, when it gets drawn, the, the, drawing everything together towards the end, I think, is, is, is worth seeing. Um, there are definitely issues I have with it but I, but I think it is worth seeing I, th- I would recommend people see it but I think it is interesting as to what people would think when they watched it in different moods mm. but, um, and also perhaps whether they watched it with a partner or not that might be interesting as well if you watch it with your wife see how she reacts yeah <laughs> see how you react argue over who is right and wrong and, and things like that um, yeah I think that would be interesting but uh, I'm glad you finally think that one of the films I've shown you was worth your time. <laughs> I like Biggles, didn't I? Um, sort of. <laughs> a bit. I like bits of Biggles. Well, there is um, one final uh, thing, is that um, uh, Stanley, Co- well, Stanley Kubrick, a, a director like that, people are always being touted as the new Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would you say is the, the, the new Kubrick? Who's his successor in current cinema? I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough to, to answer like that sort of thing well, uh, because, I, I, because I think people are starting to think Denis Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve. I, what I'm, I'm not saying that I'm saying I think people are starting to say oh he can do anything um, again I'm not I, saying that's I, true I listen or, or I pull the face okay so but <laughs> I, mean, I but I think I think saying such and such is the new Kubrick I, I, I don't think people are trying to be the new Kubrick no. Or I don't think he should be, and and I think actually that that um, sets him up more than he deserves as this absolute titan. Now I'm not saying that he hasn't done things that are, are incredibly impressive and not and definitely worthy of study, and he's got his place in the pantheon of great filmmakers. But I I think you get people that do various things incredibly successfully or incredibly well. I I don't think there's a like for like comparison. No, but. There is maybe a style or an ethos or an ethic that's carried over because the name that I keep 
seeing coming up again and again is Christopher Nolan. But I think I think that is more about the pop cultural weight. Uh, weight, but but I think that's I think that's all the various things building a story around him rather than uh, than what he's doing. Mm. Because I, I mean, there uh, there are there are things about Nolan that I I can see where where they would make that connection. But I, I think that's people's hunger to. Uh, to see something familiar rise up again, you know. I, yes. I, th- I think, I think, I think that's a story right, that that people are making, mm. uh, uh, especially because the Kubrick stuff is essentially set in stone now. Yeah. So what you're seeing is not a not a reflection or a mirror version, but 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 I, I can also see with Nolan. Yeah, I can see why people are trying to do that. And I just don't know if it's helpful at all. Well, I would say he's the new David Lee, to begin with. There's some telling stories on a huge canvas and building these sort of colossal productions that are still appealing to an audience while not compromising on intellectual weight and character. um, He might not be compromising, but it doesn't mean that some of that stuff has any intellectual weight, necessarily, I don't think. I think there's lots of stuff where... It's not that he's pulling the wool over people's eyes, but I, I you think Nolan or Lee, Nolan. Lo- Nolan. All right. I think I think lots of that stuff is much flimsier. Well, and he's it, not. Well, he's but he's, he's but a couple of duds. I'd agree. But. No, but even the successes, I think that it's difficult because you, when you're an audience member, you get the, you get the package, which you might devour in a different way. Mm. You might see it as cinema, um, you know, and certainly for Nolan. That really might affect how you see see the film, hear the films is the important point there, um, but also see them actually because of you know what he does with IMAX and things like that. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to um, watching on a small TV or a laptop or anything like that. And of and, and of course, I mean, I'm sure there are innumerable essays and and, and masters theses that people are writing about this this exact sort of thing. But I I just I I never think of a director as the next. Somebody, all right, because that's that in itself. I don't think is a mark of quality. You might you might see things in 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 somebody's work that you think that reminds me of, or or right. or I also like this because I like but because I like that. Because the filmmaker who working now who most reminds me of Kubrick is David Fincher, and I think that's mainly because he has that obsessive attention to detail. Yeah, and um, that's slightly cold slightly removed tone but Fitcher seems to be a totally different type of personality because he's very happy to talk to the press he's very happy to go on record mm-hmm. whereas Kubrick generally kept his own counsel or just among his own friends and family sure but it's, it's also very difficult because you know um, something that you wouldn't uh, you know okay so I, I'm thinking of something you know one of these big CGI blockbusters yeah I mean there are thousands of people working to to make things exactly correct. Yes. For that, so it's not that. Um, so that that exact attention to detail is not just a sort of director-driven thing, and 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 also that that when you watch it, what let's say you watch the Lego Movie, you're yes. not sitting there thinking, what an exact um, vision, but it but it it is. It might not be one. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that 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 
the package that you're presented with uh, is you don't actually really get to know what's going on in the two, three, four years of production. Well, I do know that... Um, what was Fincher's last film? Was it... It wasn't The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, was it? He's made one other one since then, hasn't he? Well, I don't know. Oh, no, it was Gone Girl. Did he make that? I, I didn't see it. Well, anyway, it was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo I was thinking of. Um, I know that every single shot of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was treated as a visual effects shot, that every single shot was adjusted in some way by visual effects to get it exactly the way Fincher wanted it. Sure, but... Not just in terms of colour time or anything like that, but even like background details added in, painted out, everything exact. Yeah. I mean... I mean so maybe it's, it's not so much a matter of uh, being a successor as drawing inspiration for one's own work ethic, perhaps. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But, <laughs> but beside all that, let me tell you about Bob Hope working for MK Ultra. Thanks to Ed for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes with almost 40 episodes available, so please do download, subscribe and review. Podnose is also on Patreon, so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. We're also on Twitter at cinema underscore limbo and in person at j underscore j underscore phillips with two L's. However, until next time, answer me this. What kind of charade ends up with someone turning up dead? You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.